What? Doesn't this taste off to you? Just as shitty as the last time. This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 280 for the week of December 9th, 2019. I am Mouthful of Vampire Teeth, David T. Cole, and I'm here with <laughs> Rogue Prion, Sarah D. Bunting. Chop. Reliable Horny Wife, Tar Ariano. Do I have a name? It doesn't matter. I'll fuck you. And <laughs> Wasteful Feeding Technique, Monty Ashley. Oh, the blood's dripping down my chin again. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Extra Hot Great. Joining us again this week is our old friend Monty Ashley. Hello, Monty. Hello, Monty. Hello Tara. Hello, audience. Yay! We are here to talk about a new show on Netflix called V Wars. I'm going to try and summarize this. It is the dystopian sequel to the L word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they skipped a few steps, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. Ian Somerhalder plays Dr. Luther Swan. He's researching diseases and opens the episode basically by giving a lecture, warning everybody that as glaciers melt, they're going to be releasing ancient diseases and we're all going to probably die from this, which, by the way, is the only part of this that's probably true. Science! Where it diverges from reality is that the disease that gets released in this case is basically vampiritis. Um, because uh, Dr. Swan and his buddy, whose name is Mike, go to this outpost to try and retrieve scientists who are there and decide to just go into this place without any masks on because that's how great a scientist Dr. Swan is. And they get infected with whatever this is, except apparently only Mike is susceptible. And so he gets vampirism. And some of it is kind of bad in that, you know, he seems to be killing people and not being able to totally remember it. But on the other hand, he also has super vampire powers. So maybe it's a push. I don't know. Uh, we watched one of these and felt like it was enough. <laughs> Let's start with our guest. Monty, what, what were your feelings about V-Wars? Uh... Well, it's sure no what we do in the shadows in terms no, of being a show no. I would enjoy watching. Yes. Um, I watched three episodes. The oh, first, wow. I watched God. the first two and then I went straight to the end to see if anything was ever going to happen on this show. And, oh, and it doesn't. Okay. <laughs> the first two episodes spend a lot of time with people saying, what's going on? What could have caused this? Who's responsible when we know it's vampires? Just right. It's a lot like a show about zombies that take forever to get the zombies on screen while people yeah. have never heard of zombies. <laughs> so my notes for the first episode are just needs more vampires over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it needs more people who've watched TV about fucking vampires. Yeah. Like at this stage in our collective cultural consciousness, it is not okay for it to be taking this long for everybody to figure out what's going on. Like, what happened to her neck? Well, <laughs> she probably didn't get her necklace caught in some industrial machinery, you dolt. It's probably a vampire. You're on a TV show. Well, I know people watched television to make this show because we have a hacker who says, bingo, I'm in. <laughs> and uh, his boss says, keep hacking. Oh. 
his boss. So she's the <laughs> she runs Revaleaks, which is like oh. WikiLeaks. <laughs> oh, I hate her and all of her storylines so much. <laughs> Especially because she says things like put this story on top of the landing page, <laughs> which in my experience is not how web people talk. There's even more to it. I believe the full directive was in the biggest font you got. And let me tell you something Ooh. about digital topography. Yeah, what's the biggest font? Uh, what's the biggest font you got? Is the biggest number you can think. That's your biggest font. <laughs> oh, so like 30 or so? 32 is the highest number. So I think we'll skip to it. <laughs> the premise of the show was supposed to be that uh, Dr. Luther Swan, who is Ian Summerholder, I didn't recognize him. Turns out he's Boone from mm-hmm. Lost and he was on Vampire Diaries, which I did mm-hmm. not watch, but I'm sure is a better vampire experience than this. Mm, it was. And it's all about how he becomes the leader of the humans. We're all just humans now if we don't have the disease. And the Bloods is what the vampires call themselves by the end of the series. And his buddy Mike is in charge of them. Okay. And the humans are trying to introduce this synthetic blood that the Bloods can take, which is very much like true blood, except much more boring. (laughs) The only person who's getting his shirt off regularly is Ian Summerhalder. And... According to the finale, the show is about shirtless Ian Summerhalder. Hmm, okay. The, sh- the season ends with, I'm just going to go right to it, him in a jail cell doing shirtless uh, pull-ups and posing with a gun and just trying to be all rippling muscles at us. I mean, they should have led with that. Maybe you're not the demo, but come on. He has a shower scene. Oh. That's true. Okay. He did. In the, pre- in the premiere, he did. Yeah. They want me to find him sexy. I find him boring, so that's a problem. Yeah. It's just so boring. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. All the victims have been missing blood. Way more than we can account for. (laughs) The the only things that happen are not, are like infuriating. One one way you become vampire. uh, Just be near a vampire. Ride a motorcycle (laughs) once owned by a vampire. You will become a vampire. That happens in episode two. What about toilet seats? Are they involved at all? Um, not that I saw, but that might have been episode four. <laughs> what if a mosquito bites a vampire and then that mosquito bites you later on in the day? Will you become a vampire according to V Wars? I'm not sure there is a day. Uh, this is a world that takes place mostly in underlit rooms. Oh, no. They think it's atmospheric, but it really just reads as we don't want you to get a look at the set. Yeah. Yeah. Also, what social worker has ever said to a kid, you know, you're going to have to talk eventually. Like, (laughs) oh, they are so mean to this kid. So there's a wife and the wife is obviously going to die by the end of the first episode. So who cares? Mm -hmm. And then she leaves behind a son and keeps track of the son for the whole show. And the son has no personality, just like his father. And (laughs) uh, there's just nothing happens in this show. It's real hard to talk about. Yeah, let's talk about that wife, though, because so the wife, the wife is the second wife for Boone, as I will call him. Yeah. And Uh, her name's Jess. She exists only to be horny and have sex or say something and then say after that, we'll have sex. Those that's her role until the end of the first episode in which she becomes a vampire. That's her role. She provides tragic backstory. <laughs> also to be super supportive when he's like, gotta go to Antarctica or wherever the fuck, who cares? And uh, she's like, all right, I'll take care of our stepson while being a vampire. Okay. Yeah. 
I would watch that show. Single <laughs> mother vampire. Now we're talking. Mompire? Yes. <laughs> I bet there's something somewhere in the universe already called Mompire. We'll look it up. I'm sure. Okay, so this show, bad. Don't bother watching it. If you need to watch one story about unfreezing a shape-shifting virus, watch the thing, obviously. I think yeah, we're all in agreement there. Yep. yep. This show is delivered by a Netflix, but it is sort of a quintessential Siffy type of show. Mm-hmm. I know that inherently, though uh, what I want to do is sort of like break it down if we can identify the traits that make this sort of that quintessential mid-range Siffy show. Like, I know inherently this was filmed in Canada, whether it be Vancouver 24-7 or Toronto on a cloudy day. <laughs> we definitely have it being anchored by a star from an old hit, but not really a star. You know, we have boom. Like, even that is like, there's been a couple series anchored by former Lost Stars. We have this one. We had The Expanse, right? With uh, Sawyer. Mm -hmm. He was in The Colony. The Colony. Thank you. (laughs) And that was on USA. (laughs) Right. So, but they're all of a piece, right? They all fill. And I feel like there's more things to identify these that we could put on the checklist and then identify these shows ahead of time next time and avoid them. So we have Old Star from Lost or another sort of cult hit. We have, I would say, a lazy backstory cribbed from like an AP headline with science applied to it by the Mm -hmm. author. We definitely have poorly drawn template characters such as the wife and the scientist who's not really a scientist. And the friend. The friend, yeah. The boy. The ex. The hacker. Mm -hmm. Can I say something really quick about his friend? I think it's not a great look for the show to have the black guy be responsible for killing cops and attacking women all the time. Nope, it's not. (laughs) My notes, too. (laughs) Yeah. Agreed. Finally, of course, from my list, and we'll, you know, please chime in, the effects. Very special. Yeah. These are all markers of this Siffy-esque show, but I feel like there's more to it. There's, like, something I'm missing, qualities that I'm missing, and maybe it's just, like, that combination But like that in itself describes a lot of stupid stuff out there. Obviously, these are all sci-fi tinged shows, but throwing it out to the group, what else do you think belongs on this list? I'm going to say the color palette. Mm -hmm. Color grading, yeah. Yeah, it's desaturated just a little bit. So whenever I see a forest where all the leaves are kind of dark gray instead of green, (laughs) I feel, oh, now I'm in a science fiction Vancouver. Mm Mm-hmm. They they do like Antarctic sets. Before we started yeah. recording, I um, referenced Helix, and yeah. everything you said is Helix. Sometimes, also, I would say there's a um, a star from another country who like is probably a medium sized TV deal, right. right? So they can sell it in whatever that market is. Yeah. Yes, correct. Yeah, I think the Outpost had one of those. I, I would bet dollars to donuts. This is one of those Canadian, Irish, Japanese, uh-huh. Croatian co-funded TV series. Mm-hmm. And like Fortitude was like a higher class version yeah. of this. What's Fortitude? It's th- this, but with Stanley Tucci. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. I mean, and it's in um, some like Scandinavian sort of not DMZ, but like I- international zone. Oh, okay. And it's more werewolfy, hmm. but there's like just really a lot of parkas, and there's the <laughs> you know 
hot-tempered European lady who doesn't wear a brassiere, which you also had in Helix, except mm-hmm. by European, I actually mean from Manitoba. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, like they're, they do seem to like themselves a snowy venue, which because they're all filmed in, who knows, Banff. I don't know. I don't care. But there does seem to be an um, affinity for cold locales. Yeah, not not so much Banff than Brampton, I would say. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Brampton, yes. <laughs> Bramf. Um, update on the Mompire thing. Yeah. There is not a film, but uh, Urban Dictionary says that they're fans of the Twilight series who are also uh, soccer moms. Uh, okay, that's probably where my brain heard what? that before. Twilight fans have separate names for different divisions of their <laughs> fandom? That's insane. <laughs> I mean... Is it that like is it that surprising though? Like I agree that it's sort of insane, but we're already calling them all twihards. I don't see why they get subdivisions. <laughs> Unacceptable. All right. Well, I don't make the news, Monty. I just reported. All right. All right. Yeah. I mean, my question about this is like in a time when there are more good shows than any reasonable person can actually find time <laughs> to watch. I don't know how there is still space in the marketplace. Or V Wars. Oh, this is a rounding error on Netflix's acquisition budget sheet. Like this yeah, is just like, well, probably. we had an extra X million dollars. Let's just buy this co-production nobody else wanted. We'll throw mm-hmm. it up. It'll be another title we can add to the list for our price. I guess. I mean, yeah. I guess. This is not going to convince anyone not to get Disney Plus. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, where's the baby Yoda in V Wars? Like where's the cute little vampire kid that everybody has to take care of? That's what they think the son is. By the way, by the end of the series, it will not surprise you. He's the only child who's immune to the disease. Oh. We must keep him safe. Ooh. Don't care. Yeah. <laughs> there's a wise blind lady in the second episode that says there's no cure for the human condition. Goodbye. <laughs> Time to go around the dial talking about things that got to be more interesting than viewers. First stop, Tar Ariana. Well, I have a new show and a new old show. First, the new show, Servant on Apple TV+. Plus. This is the one that's from M. Night Shyamalan. Um, it is about Sean, who's played by Toby Kebbell and his wife, uh, the world's youngest Dorothy, played by Lauren Ambrose. Um, Rupert Grint is her brother, Julian, with a very bad generic American accent, which at least he's not trying to be a Philly guy because that's where the show is set. I mean, uh. good job. But and then um, their nanny is named Leanne and she's played by Nell Tiger Free, who I've never seen before. And so in the early going, if you don't know anything about the episode about the show, um, Lauren Ambrose is kind of manic first time like super anxious mom energy works even before we know what the show is is actually about which is um they had a baby it died and uh some kind of unlicensed doctor recommended that they get a reborn doll for her to sort of transition out of motherhood with and that's kind of her to come out of her psychotic break kind of to the point, but she's so attached to it that they've hired a nanny to look after this doll that she treats like an actual baby. And so does the nanny, including when she's not there. And the husband is like, you know, you don't have to do that. She isn't watching. And she's like, no, I'm fine. Anyway, cut to the end of the episode. 
it's a real baby suddenly. So then Sean doesn't know if Leanne stole someone else's baby or what the hell happened. And Leanne is kind of like spooky in general. And she's like made a sort of Blair witchy looking rough hewn kind of cross thing and hung it over the crib. So maybe that's part of it. And when they look into her, it seems like her childhood home burned down and like she may have stolen someone's identity. And like, where did she actually come from? They're not totally sure where her resume even happened to come into the pile. Blah, blah, blah. That all makes it sound much more interesting. This is three episodes worth of exposition. And granted, like, it's only a half hour show, which, as always, I appreciate a half hour drama. Who doesn't? But still, like, I would be much more interested in this show if it was just about what what if it was just the Lauren Ambrose character having this mental breakdown and being this attached to the reborn doll and not have the supernatural elements be part of it at all? Because the nanny, this woman that's playing the nanny, Nell Tiger Free, is like really creepy and spooky. <laughs> like she does a really good job. Like she could carry it alone without even the part where like maybe she's magic. Anyway, um, there were there are four episodes up as of this recording. I only watched three and thought, eh, I get it. Like I don't really care to see where this goes from here, frankly. So instead, I went on and watched. <laughs> The first episode of Mad About You 2019. Why? I don't know. So here's what's going on in that. Um, Paul and Jamie are back. Their daughter Mabel is going to college, except she's going to NYU and they live on the other side of Washington Square Park. So she's going to five blocks away. And they come back and bother her three more times after moving her in. Um, Most of the cast is back. Richard Kind, as you know, because he hasn't really ever gone away, looks the same as he did on mad about you the first time through uh and ramsey who plays uh jamie's sister looks incredible um they have a cold open that's kind of winky about like being mean about how people look different after 20 years which like okay i get it but you know whatever they do the elements of fan service barely deserve the name like this is such a weird show for old people (laughs) and me um uh, but uh, they do get in there. Paul had a tick in the original series where when he was making a list of things, he would be like, A, blah, 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 and two, and Mabel does that too, ha, ha. But then they also show that they've bought the apartment across the hall, and that's where the daughter's room is, and then they only show like it's connected through the bathroom, like where is the rest of the apartment? It drove me crazy that they didn't show it. Such a dumb thing to want to care about, but that's because there's not a lot to care about on this show. <laughs> Helen Hunt has made this character so much nastier and meaner than she was even in the first run of the show, which is very. She comes home from dropping the kid off and sees that she didn't make her bed. And so she she basically like we don't see her do it, but we see the aftermath, which is she has torn apart the bed with her bare hands and left the pieces of like the frame in the hallway and impaled her daughter's like stuffed animal that she left in one of the pieces. Yikes. This is a mother. It's super rough. And we're supposed to think like this is just her way of dealing with, you know, her separation anxiety. It's like, no, this is really hostile and angry. Like she should be in therapy and not for being sad that her daughter is gone. Like, what is this actually about? Um, But that's only part of the problem. The other part is that uh, Mad About You is not streaming anywhere, including like you can't even buy it on iTunes. You have to buy the DVDs. So even if you wanted to watch 
the show to catch up to where this is, you can't. And if you wanted to watch this, you basically can't because it's on Spectrum Originals. That's the only place you can watch it. Were you in they a didn't hotel? make a deal with anyone else to like put it on. <laughs> so like what are we do why is this happened? What are we doing here? It's like so half-assed and sad. It really bums me out that this is where they've come to. Like I feel like when you get to the end of the list and they're like, "Well, Spectrum Originals wants to buy it and no one else made you an offer." It's like, "Well, let's not do it then." Like seriously though. Anyway, anyone else? <laughs> Helen Hunt has an Oscar. She shouldn't, but she does. <laughs> yeah. Mad yeah. About You looked on a crowded reboot landscape and said, why not me too? Yeah. You know what 90s show should be rebooted? The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep the, re- the original series still running, but also do a reboot at the same time. To subscribe to your newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's two of the 500 shows that we watched while we were off. Uh, Dave, we'll talk about another one. But anyway, um, I would not recommend either of these, frankly. But if you have to watch something new, please watch all of both of those before you watch any of V Wars. For my plugs, <laughs> first, we didn't we forgot to mention this before we went off on our break. Our Dave was on Dave and Jeb aren't mean. Dave, do you want to talk about that? Right, right. We did the Hallmark movie Pumpkin Pie Wars. I chose it based on the title. I thought it was going to be like this fun romp sort of practical joke, quirky escapades and hijinks ensue, but we're <laughs> There was an actual war. But it wasn't. There wasn't really even a war. The war lasts like twenty minutes, and then it's basically a uh, more of a Romeo and Juliet story. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. about competing pie making families in this small town <laughs> that can't even support one bakery, but these families have opened two between them because they mm-hmm. hate each other. Apparently, anyways, yeah. <laughs> um, the movie was really bad. But apparently, I picked one that on the Hallmark scale is basically like a porno. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because of how much yeah. hand-holding and kissing happens so soon into the episode. So that was yeah. an eye-opener, and it was actually a very oh. fun journey talking about it with uh, with Jeb. And um, check it out. It's uh, We'll put it in the show notes, but um, they have, like, um, much like Extra Hot Great, they break something down into lots of little bits. And uh, so we talk about this one movie in about 16 different ways, and, and it, it was mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun. So, yeah, Dave and Jeb aren't mean, the Hallmark Movie Channel podcast. We'll link it up in the show notes. It was a delight. And also, one more plug, uh, Sarah and I finally got to the series finale of Beverly Hills 90210, season 10, episode 26 and 27. Oh, We'll link that in the show notes too, but wow, we fucking did it. I can't, I still did. can't believe it. And we recorded it like three weeks ago, but please check that out. It sucks. It, <laughs> oh, oi. <laughs> it did not, uh, it did not break us. It did not win. So thank you to everyone who's <laughs> listened to this point, And even if you only want to hear that one, I think that's fair. Mm. All right, Monty Ashley, it is your turn. What do you got this week? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was watching some garbage reality show, and I was thinking how weird it is that there aren't more shows trying to rip off the Great British Bake Off. You know, the everybody loves the Great British Bake Off, and it's so nice and friendly, and everybody's so loving. And then I noticed, hey, making it. Uh, <laughs> in case you do not remember, that's the Nick Offerman, Amy Poehler crafting show that is designed to be as much like Great British Baking Off, Great British Bake Off as possible. And right now, Making It is having a two-week, every-night event, which means they're burning off 10 episodes over two (laughs) weeks. 
in the middle yeah, of yeah. December. Mm-hmm. It's a bad show, it turns out. I liked the first season, but this season, which I really? watched, here's what's weird about it. It's, and I didn't notice this until I was explicitly putting it in context of having watched another season of Great British Bake Off last month. This show has way too much Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every time any of the uh, contestants says anything, it's because they're talking to Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler. On Great Beers Bake Off, Noel Fielding and Sandy Toxvig do, I'll be generous and call them comedy bits, <laughs> but they're, you believe that they might not be written in advance because of how short they are and for how little effort either of them is putting into them. On making it, there are several scripted comedy bits every episode. And I like Nick and Amy, but I want to see these people crafting. But on the other hand, I kind of don't want to see these people crafting because the show doesn't make any sense when you're comparing a food artist with a carpenter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a yeah. food artist, by the way, is somebody who makes paintings with food. And those those weren't bad, but then you have to, you know, then the next challenge, she has to make a cubicle. She's like, well, you know what? You can't yeah. make a cubicle out of? <laughs> but, out of potholders. Uh, it, yeah. it reminds me of a show I really liked called Work of Art, which was about high art, but in the format of a competitive reality show. You're the other one who watched that. I loved that oh, show. Monty. There was, there was that one lady who, whatever the challenge was would just take a picture of herself topless and then rely on an artist statement to explain why this was totally relevant to whatever challenge they had been given oh i <laughs> love my favorite things on television to this day remains um the host whose name i forget i'm gonna say christophe de Menil, but i'm sure that's not right saying in his plummy accent you know that um graffiti artist named suck lord yeah. We'd be like, so, Sock Lord, tell me what you're working on today. <laughs> and uh, I just, like, that pronunciation of Suck Lord was everything. I wish this were streaming somewhere. It really was a good show. They should bring it back. I liked Suck Lord. He would, like, rework action figures and stuff. And I am mm-hmm. a commenter, so I enjoyed that. And there was that one episode of Work of Art where their challenge was ride around in this Lexus and take inspiration from this Lexus. P.S. We're sponsored by Lexus this week. <laughs> oh, and to do that in oh, the bravo, high art. Never change. Oh, that show was so much fun. And making it is kind of dull, but not in the pleasant Great British Bake Off way. And it turns out we have plenty of Great British Bake Off. So now I know why we don't have a lot of people ripping it off. Yeah. I, I do think people on reality shows could be nicer to each other. But if this is what it takes, I'm okay with the regular version where everyone is just real nasty about everyone else's gingerbread houses or whatever. I feel like the closest thing to Great British Bake Off in that regard was actually Face Off. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Well, the other problem with it is that they're, they're so twee with like, well, we don't want anyone to go home ever. And like that's part of the bit, too, where it's like, we're all adults. <laughs> You know, these, I mean, one of them in this season is 19. Um, he's, you know, arguably <laughs> he looks more, younger. Yeah, he, he looks and seems a lot younger for sure. But I also think that part of the, because I've been watching it too, I, I think part of the problem this season is like, it feels like they kind of um, exhausted the supply of people who were like really talented crafters and also compelling television personalities in season one, because <laughs> it feels yeah. like... There's a big step down in terms of interest in season two yeah. for me. 
it is very inessential. And I'm yeah. watching it anyway because there's only so much of this holiday gingerbread showdown is I think the Food Network show I'm also watching. <laughs> And for my plug, I don't have anything right now. Please follow me on Twitter at Monty underscore Ashley. Yeah. Include the underscore. If you don't include the underscore, it's a lady in Kuala Lumpur who says she has the same name as me. I don't believe her. Oh, shit. (laughs) Sarah D. Bunting. Um, All right. Well, speaking of uh, Dave and Jeb Artmean and one of our past guests, David Roth. Um, he recently blamed me in an email for getting his wife into Are You the One, which we discussed recently during the <laughs> canon episode. And I was like, um, well, I'm not watching that. Like, I haven't gotten started getting caught up on that because I'm watching X on the Beach, which is another dating show on MTV. Um, I was in the middle of a Teen Mom, Young and Pregnant episode and saw the promo and that season, I guess it's season four featured nicole who was on real world um explosions or whatever season 31 was where like 15 people got kicked out of the house uh anyway i she was on the challenge and i've always liked her she's a firefighter in staten island and somehow has a boston accent but i've always (laughs) found her quite enjoyable and um she's always had a very refreshingly real attitude towards being on these shows and that MTV has created an entire economy based completely on its own ecosystem of shows and we'll pass like we'll pass them around like sort of chess pieces or hessians I guess it's I mean it's really something so I was like all right well I'll see what this is about and if it's boring I don't have to keep watching it but I'm, you know, the premise is that they they all think they're just on a dating show and then their exes come in and then maybe their exes are going to get with someone who's already in the house or maybe they're going to get back together. I, I mean, it's pretty and it immediately becomes like so Byzantine with the rules and like <laughs> it's a fire week. So you're going on a hot date and here's the fireplace where you and then you like turn around and like twirl around and spit and hop on one foot and. Spin the wheel to find out how many dice you roll. (laughs) It really is. And then there's like you have helmets on and you're in those like giant hamster balls anyway. So they're introing everyone and um, it is actually quite similar to that. Are you the one season premise in that this is like a lot of bull with various gender identities uh, and various. Um. I don't even know how to put this. Basically, I was excited to find that in the cast is Adore Delano, who has been on a couple of seasons of RuPaul's Drag Race and started out on American Idol in uh, his fame journey as Danny Noriega. And in the house, he is both personae and then his ex shows up and it's, I mean, it's really something like MTV's, I wouldn't say blasé, but like matter of fact um here is the whole rainbow of human like sexually interactive experience is really something like i i think they are still a vanguard network it just has nothing to do with videos anymore which is fine yeah Mm -hmm. and then this the entire show and everyone on it have this wonderful like we all know what we're doing here which is to get drunk get it in and get it get paid and (laughs) including the host who is named Romeo and loves to give the contestants shit. 
like in the background of one shot, like someone is freaking out about something and he's like gently removing a champagne flute from his hand. Like it's good. And then there's a host who has never seen, not a host, a like narrator. Um, who's like, I guess we'll see how things look for these two in the morning. And then there's like a sped up shot of the sun coming up. He's like, and now it's morning and the ass is going to hit the fan. Like, I don't, it's weird. Like it's almost a parody of itself and it's <laughs> really fun. And I don't feel like anyone is there. Some of these dating shows, you've always got a couple people where it's like you, uh, you need to be in a yurt desert, like just working <laughs> through things not on tv not around booze and i i don't get that sense like i feel like this is absolutely like 75 to 80 percent performative and everybody is a professional in this mtv ecosystem of reality shows and it's it's very funny and like it's trying to be funny and succeeding which is a little unexpected for this kind of show even (laughs) on mtv so X on the Beach, I think it's season four. Um, other uh, familiar folks include Ledemi, who is an internet personality. Marlon from Real World, Real World Portland. He has his shirt off a lot. This is absolutely not a negative. Um, Georgia from The Challenge. Yeah, I think that's probably everyone of note. There's various like Love Island UK people that I only know from the challenge. So X on the Beach, it's on MTV, I think Tuesday nights or no, excuse me, Thursday nights. I recommend, weirdly, (laughs) for my plug, the other half of Dave and Jeb aren't me and Jeb Lund will be on next week's Blotter Presents talking about Truth Be Told, which I kind of can't wait because that thing is supposed to be a steaming pile. And this week, my great good friend Smokler is on to talk about uh, a book and a new podcast called Detective Trap. So that's The Blotter Presents, anywhere you download podcasts. I don't want to throw you, dear listeners, under the bus, but once in a while I feel like there is a failure of the EHG (laughs) listenership. (laughs) And. Oh, no. In the multi-year history of Extra Hot Great, nobody has suggested to me a series that we just devoured last weekend on Netflix called Toast of London. Never heard about this show. You know, I know a lot of people in the show, as it turns out, but nobody ever said to me, Dave, this is exactly your type of show. And oh, my God, it is exactly my type. Stupid, (laughs) well-drawn British pile of dumb that absolutely hits all my pleasure spots um it stars matt barry from you know him from uh what we do in the shadows and, the tv show yeah he stars as Stephen toast the toast of london he is like a stage actor a voiceover actor sort of never as successful as he thought he would be and it is just sort of this i think the closest american show is kind of like arrested development in tone and willingness to go back and with callbacks and stuff i have a couple clips so again for to make money Stephen toast mostly does vo stuff and they are always he's always going back to his one studio to record stuff um the first one is Stephen Toast recording a very short script uh, for a client. Here is your first clip. Is that it? Just that one word? Yeah. Okay. Yes. 
Uh, hey, Stephen, that was really good. Um, feeling is here that you could be a bit more positive. More positive? Yeah. Yeah, really go for it. You want me to go for it? Yeah. All right. Yes! Very, very good. Um, let's just try it without the script. Mind just loosen you up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's, what is it, one word? You don't really need it, do you? I probably don't need the scripts. It's just a word. Yeah. Okay, let's do it again. Peeks at the script. Yes! <laughs> is that it? Yes. Right. <laughs> Hi, Stephen. Yes. This is Clem Fandango. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Clem Fandango. Honestly, this is going so great, but I just think there was a little loss of energy in that last take. Maybe try one more. Okay, you ready to go? Yeah. What? Yes! Okay. Yes! Yes! <laughs> yes! 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 Oh my god. Um there's a lot of great callbacks in this series. There's one where he never knows like whenever anybody mentions Benedict Cumberbatch, he has no idea who he is. Who? He, his his affectation is he doesn't know who any famous actor yeah, is. Yeah, right. All the, like, very clippable moments, they're all happening in this studio. So I have one more, and I think this is Tara's favorite moment from the series <laughs> so far. Before you play it, because I, I do think it should be the button of the scene, I just want to also give a shout-out to... I love a show, and Brooklyn Nine-Nine does this, too, where, like, you you can't, you don't let any opportunity for a very dumb joke go by, including giving a character even if they don't get any lines or they're just mentioned a very stupid name. Um, and um, a lot of the scenes also take place in Steven's uh, agent's office. So you'll see like the headshots on the wall behind her and all of her clients have stupid names too, like Kitty Leggings or Millie Floss or whatever. <laughs> so, so just some of these, I have the IMDb open. See, these are some of the characters from the show. Uh, Ormond Sacker, Dinky Frinkbuster, Clancy Moped, Jenny Spasm, De- uh, um, Holland Skittles, Penny Trader, etc. So there's just this, <laughs> like, you know, even as someone who's just passing through will also like, they'll, they'll make an opportunity for a dumb joke, even if it's just someone's name. Okay, go ahead, Dave. Uh, do you want to set up the scene at all? Um, no, just play it. I can't, I can't hear you. Press the button. I can't hear you. Press the button, you donut. I can't hear you. It's Clem Fandango, can you hear me? Yeah, obviously, if you press the button. What's your problem? You've only worked here for three years. Temper, temper, Stephen. Don't you temper, temper me, boy. Just do your job. <laughs> OK, Stephen. Now, the client was very, very specific about the style of the read and the pronunciation of some of the words. Clem's got it all in front of him. We'll take it from here. All right. Hello, Stephen. This is Clem Fandango. Can you hear me? You are a fucking star, aren't you? Yes! Okay, so this is important. The client has expressed that he'd really like you to... Oh, fucking hell, you've done it again, you... Press the button! I can't hear you unless you push the button! Stephen, this is Clem Fandango. Can you hear me? I dare you to say that one more time. Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, well, then keep your finger on the fucking button. I didn't catch a word of that, all right? And I need to hear again exactly how that client wants me to say this script. Okay, Stephen, so this is important. The client has expressed they'd really like to stress certain words within the script. Okay. And the words he'd like you to stress are love. Fuck! <laughs> 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 
good. <laughs> ah! <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that's one it's, it's got to be the top 10 best rage scenes on television history oh so my god dumb. oh so my god and, and on top of that for tara there's a whole episode that features john ham yes as himself oh my god really good i don't know how this escaped my attention uh until this last week but oh my god such a good show if you haven't watched it uh please do really really good yeah it's on netflix yeah. Uh, for my plug, I just want to mention that, correct me if I'm wrong, Tara, next week is our... Yes. Next week is uh, Dave Roth and Jeb Lund of Dave and Jeb Aren't Mean are guesting on the podcast together to talk about a Lifetime Christmas movie that Dave Cole picked and that won the poll. Thank you to everyone who voted in the poll. Correct. And that uh, episode of television is called Mistletoe and Menorahs, which yep. I chose solely based on the synopsis which is this when a determined toy company executive christy must learn about hanukkah in a hurry in order to land a big account she enlists the help of her co-worker's <laughs> friend jonathan who happens also to be in desperate need of turning his bachelor pad into a christmas wonderland to impress his girlfriend's father lifetime so if you're interested in knowing anything about mistletoe and menorahs when we talk about it, uh, the next recording on TV that you should set your DVR to is Thursday, December 12th, 1.05 a.m. <laughs> AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as $4.99 a month with an annual membership. And you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so... Let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now! Today's extra credit topic comes to us from Kit Keller. She is calling it Shiny Deboot, and she writes, We're all familiar with the gritty reboot epidemic currently dominating TV and movies, but how well does it work the other way around? I believe she's thinking of like Riverdale, for example. 
Choose an existing dark, moody, gritty show or film and describe a splashy, campy, ungritified remake. So here's where I take over. We're pretty sure we have done this as a mini in the past. So we hope it's okay with Kit that we tweaked it a little thusly. We're going to take a character from a dark, moody drama and put them in a show of a different genre. So, for example, reality, cooking show, talk show, home makeover show, any of these is fine. What will the show be called and how will it work? Let's discuss. I'll go first. I'm going to take Philip Jennings from The Americans <laughs> and I'm going to put him in a show called Philip Jennings Living. You've heard of Martha Stewart Living? Well, this is a similar kind of thing. He's also going to do some how-tos, do a little cooking, do a little crafting, bit different than what Martha does. You're going to learn how to make a bomb. You're going to learn how to wire up a briefcase for sound. You're going to learn how to turn a jacket into a recording device, etc. That was my idea for how to uh, transform this character into a different genre. Monty. Uh, well, there's this show called Barbecue Pitmasters that went through a lot of different but similar formats. And it's generally about trying to make television out of people spending 12 hours watching meat slowly cook. <laughs> so I am going to take Mads Mikkelsen as Hannibal and put him on this show. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's called Barbecue Duh Pitmasters. Oh, God, that's good. Where the special uh, meat every week is whoever lost last week. Because... <laughs> <laughs> I figure Hannibal is the kind of person that would love to spend 12 hours meticulously preparing a meal, and mm -hmm. I want to know how the other pitmasters do with cooking a human torso. <laughs> wow. Oh Sarah? I don't want to have to go after that, because I think it's pretty much the end of the story, but here is mine. I am taking Daniel Holden from Sundance post-prison drama Rectify. Oh and putting him on, as it happens, making it. Mm -hmm. I will be tweaking the name slightly so that it's making it on the outside. Mm -hmm. uh, Daniel Holden is the host. Uh, there will not be any comedy bits because he is basically like post-verbal after nearly two decades on death row. Yeah. So you'll just be watching all the crafts, which will all be shit like making a shiv and making <laughs> Bruno. <laughs> but in a gentle, supportive, and genuinely educational atmosphere because... If peak TV can't teach you how to escape from the clink using two scoops of powdered potatoes and a piece of elastic waistband, what the fuck is it for? Dave. <laughs> All right. I am putting Game of Thrones Sandor Clegane, a.k.a. The Hound. I'm going to take him and his uh, infamously short fuse and his absolute arbitration techniques to a show called The Clegane Puppy Bowl as a special <laughs> guest <laughs> referee. There were no survivors. <laughs> it is time for the canon submitting this week is our guest monty take it away monty hi i'm monty uh i have brought what i believe to be one of the best television series finales ever made the sixth and last episode of blackadder goes forth before i get into it just for people who don't know blackadder i'm going to try to summarize the whole deal and not take too much time uh <laughs> Blackadder has four separate series where some of the same actors play some of the same characters, but in different historical eras. So the first series was set in the Middle Ages and starred Prince Edmund, the Blackadder. And then in the second series, he was in the court of Queen Elizabeth I. In the third series, he's 
butler to Prince George in the early 19th century. And here in the fourth series, he's a captain in the trenches of World War I, a classic sitcom setup. Blackadder is played by Rowan Atkinson. His most famous role in America is Mr. Bean, who is barely verbal. Blackadder, by contrast, is spectacularly literate in a particularly show-offy way. Please play the first clip. Warwick! Captain Bay! This is a crisis. A large crisis. In fact, if you've got a moment, it's a 12-story crisis with a magnificent entrance hall counting throughout, 24-hour portrage, and an enormous sign on the roof saying, This is a large crisis. And a large crisis requires a large plan. Get me two pencils and a pair of underpants. The underpants are for Blackadder's latest scheme to get out of going over the top. The basic plot of all six episodes of Blackadder Goes Forth, sidebar, this is a British show, there are six episodes in this series. He wants to get out of the trenches of World War I because it's a very dangerous place to be. In this episode, as in most of them, there's going to be a push which he correctly and pretty much solely views as suicide. Please play the second clip. Oh, dash and blast all this hanging about, sir. I'm as bored as a pacifist pistol. When are we going to see some action? Well, George, I strongly suspect that your long wait for certain death is nearly at an end. Surely you must have noticed something in the air? Well, yes, of course, but I, I thought that was Private Bullrich. Yes, I'm very much mistaken. Soon we will at last be making the final big push. That one we've been so looking forward to all these years. Well, hurrah with highly polished brass knobs on. About time! <laughs> One of the things that sometimes gets brought up about World War I in documentaries made by Peter Jackson is the way people from different social castes got smushed in together. Hugh Laurie is probably most famous in the U.S. for playing unethical drug addict Dr. Gregory House. But here in Blackadder, he's playing a rich, optimistic idiot named George, semi-reprising his role as Prince George from the third series. And he's here to kind of be the rich idiot. Uh, please play the third clip. Well, for God's sake, George, how long have you been in the army? Well, me? Oh, I joined up straight away, sir. August the 4th, 1914. Oh, what a day that was. Myself and the rest of the fellows leapfrogging down to the Cambridge recruiting office and then playing tiddlywinks in the queue. We'd hammered Oxford's tiddlywinkers only the week before, and there we were, off to hammer the Bosch. Crashingly superb bunch of blokes. Fine, clean-limbed. Even our acne had a strange nobility about it. <laughs> so th at this point, George is behaving the way he would in a Biggles movie or some <laughs> sort of rah-rah World War I thing. Let's go get the Germans. And he talks about the people he joined up with, who we later find out are all dead. Eh, it's World War I. Blackadder does not want to go over the top. And in this episode, the tactic he decides to use is he's going to pretend to be insane, like Klinger and MASH. I will briefly mention in passing that MASH got a lot of praise for taking war seriously, which on MASH frequently took the form of Alan Alda announcing to the camera that war was bad. <laughs> and I think later on I'm going to show that Blackadder does a better job of showing the brutality of war than MASH ever did. Uh, please play clip four. Have you gone barking mad? Yes, George, I have. Cluck, cluck, jibber, jibber, my old man's a mushroom, etc. <laughs> Go send a runner to tell General Melchett that your captain has gone insane and must return to England at once. So how utterly ghastly for you. I mean, well, you'll miss the whole rest of the war. Yes, very bad luck. Beep. Right. Beep. 
Borvik, I'll be back as soon as I can. Papa. I particularly enjoy Rowan Atkinson's very half-assed, insane acting, where he behaves exactly normally, but he has underpants on his head, pencils on his nose, and occasionally says, beep. The structure of the show tends to mean that everyone is Blackadder's antagonist. He's the only sane person in whatever world he's in, except the first series. I don't want to get into it. He's certainly antagonistic towards everyone, but his specific enemies in this series are General Melchett, who is Stephen Fry, bringing back his second series character, and Captain Darling, who is Tim McInerney, who was in the first two series, but not with this character, just to make things extra confusing. General Melchett represents the idiots who are in charge of the war, and I have read about World War I. It turns out it was mostly idiots in charge of it. His minion, Darling, we consider a coward, but really I think he's just better than Blackadder at staying off the front lines because Captain Darling, whose name is obviously a joke, uh, he gets to be Melchett's uh, right-hand man and stay back at the only other set beside the trenches, which is General Melchett's office. Please play clip five in which Melchett and Darling stop by the front lines. Fine body of men you've got out there, Blackadder. Yes, sir. Shortly to become fine bodies of men. <laughs> Nonsense, you'll pull through. <laughs> I remember when we played the old Herovians back in 96, they said we'd never break through to their back line, but we ducked and we bobbed and we wove and we damn well won the game 15-4. Yes, sir, but the Harrow fullback wasn't armed with a heavy machine gun. <laughs> no, that's a good point. Make a note, darling. Sir. Recommendation for the Harrow governors. Heavy machine guns for fullbacks. Nice idea, Bergetta. Now then, soldier. You looking forward to giving those Frenchies a damn good licking? Uh, no, sir. It's the Germans we should be licking, sir. Don't be revolting, Dan. <laughs> I wouldn't lick a German if he was glazed in honey. At this point, we're about halfway through the episode, and it's pretty much a standard episode. Uh, so I'm just going to take a minute to praise Baldrick, who is the only character other than Blackadder to appear in every version of Blackadder. Uh, after the four series, there were some movies. They're terrible. They don't count. We all agree on this? <laughs> yes. Uh, Bal Baldrick is a low, lower-class idiot, unlike George, who is an upper-class idiot. Uh, please play clip six. You were offered a way out, and you didn't take it. Oh, absolutely not, sir. No, I can't wait to get stuck into the Bosch. You won't have time to get stuck into the Bosch. We'll all be cut to pieces by machine gun fire before we can say charge. All right, so what do we do now? Shall I do my war poem? How hurt would you be if I gave the honest answer, which is, no, I'd rather French kiss a skunk. <laughs> so would I, sir. <laughs> all right, fire away, Bobby. Hear the words I sing. War's a horrid thing. So I sing, sing, sing. Ding-a-ling-a-ling. -a that is actually the more coherent of the two poems that Baldrick says in this episode. <laughs> every series of Blackadder ended with everybody or almost everybody dying, normally as a sight gag. It's played for laughs. But hijinks in the days of Queen Elizabeth I are one thing. World War I is something people take pretty seriously in England, where it had only been about 70 years since... 17 million or so people died. And it is at this point in the episode that things start to get serious. 
uh, there is a scene where General Melchett, in an absolutely amazing but unfortunately indescribable mustache hammock, has a surprise for <laughs> Darling. <laughs> Clip seven. And I want to do what's best for you, darling. So I've given it a great deal of thought, and I want you to have this. A postal order for ten shillings. <laughs> no, sorry. Oh, that's my godson's wedding present. Ah. Yeah. Uh, no, sir. This is a commission for the front lines. Yes. <laughs> I've said a lot of stuff about this episode, and I stand by it, but I, I want to emphasize, I think it's very funny. Every one of these clips has jokes in it, and they come from a lot of different angles. You have Baldrick's idiocy. You have George's idiocy, which is slightly different. You have Melchit's complete callousness in that episode that thing you have baldrick's poem but the reason i nominated this episode isn't because it's super funny it's because of the ending obviously because after five episodes of blackadder getting out of danger at the last minute something else happens in this one right at the end of the episode blackadder baldrick prince george sorry lieutenant george and captain darling are all in the trench waiting for the order to be given to attack please play clip eight one pace forward. Oh, there's a nasty splinter on that ladder, sir. A bloke could hurt himself on that. Stand ready. I have a plan, sir. Really, Baldrick? A cunning and subtle one? Yes, sir. As cunning as a fox who's just been appointed professor of cunning at Oxford University? <laughs> yes, sir. On the signal, company will advance. Well, I'm afraid it'll have to wait. Whatever it was, I'm sure it was better than my plan to get out of this by pretending to be mad. I mean, who would have noticed another madman around here? Good luck, everyone. So they go up out of the trench. And it goes into slow motion as explosions happen all around them. And then it just fades out and fades to a field of poppies. They're all dead. They all died because that's what happens to people in World War I, no matter how clever they are. They could be Blackadder. They could be George. They could be Baldrick. They could be Darling. They're all dead because it's not Hogan's heroes. And Blackadder wanted to say something about war which is in world war one people just died and that's where their story ends there's no bringing these characters back just 70 years later there's just a field of flowers it all happens in seconds and it's what i like about it isn't just the shock of killing them it's that this is the only way this series could end blackadder was very clever and for five episodes, it was clever enough. And in the sixth episode, it wasn't. And to do that in a dumb sitcom with Baldrick in it, I think is really <laughs> remarkable. And that's why I am submitting it for the canon. Monty, I'll go first today in a rare uh, change of pace. I remember watching this the very first time, like years and years ago, when I like kind of moved from watching every single Monty Python thing to exploring other facets of British comedy and coming across Blackadder probably sometime in the late 90s or whatever. 
And I remember watching this one for the first time and like, oh, just hating it, you know, just because I was whatever, young and dumb and, and just didn't like it, that it didn't end with some hilarious thing like all the other ones. You know, fast forward to a vastly superior and mature David T. Cole in 2019, watching this again <laughs> and, uh, you know, obviously getting more out of it. I did a little research because, you know, something was in the back of my mind about the ending that I, I kind of forgot. So I looked it up. There was a documentary a little while ago. It's really surprising to hear this ending was bad phrase, but a happy accident. So they shot a version of the ending. Sort of as you see it at the end, they go up the ladders, they charge through no man's land or hail of bullets, explosions, people fall down. In the original one, they shot it at full speed. You know, that was the intent. And, uh, you know, the stage they shot it on had about like 10 feet of runway. So it was all very awkward. They all sort of like run a little bit and they all get shot and you know, they fall down. And in the original script, Black Adder actually feigns death. He sort of peeks around. And there was supposed to be this, um, this epilogue where he survived and he's like an old man talking about it. The footage that they shot for the end was so bad that everybody involved was really worried that they'd like really totally fucked up the ending that it came across as amateurish hokey, you know, ill conceived. And it got into the editor's bay and the editor's like, well, we can't actually show them get to the end of the stage because you can see it is the end of the actual sound stage where they shot it at. So they had to cut it short. But they also had to fill that time that they were allotted for the end. So at some point, an editor said, all right, I will maybe put this in slow motion to see what happens. And the slow motion took, you know, as they say in this documentary, it took like what were very stagey flashbangs and very quick explosions and turned it into something very cinematic when you reduced it to slow motion. And on top of that, the sound designer said, well, let's also slow down the audio, which they did and made the explosions less of a, and more of a deep rumble, very foreboding and, and scary, you know, explosion sound. And then they decided to cut it at the point where they are just about to fall down when as shot. And then at the last moment, when it was like an intern or somebody like that said, what if we put up like a picture of poppies? So they sent somebody up, they ran up to the library archives there. Somebody got a picture of poppies and they put that in. So like the ending was almost like not there. And in fact, it was created in editing by the editors, less a creation of the creators of the show and more of people trying to fix what was sort of a rushed, botched film of an ending. You know, it's a testament to the power of collaboration on a project that, you know, no, you know, we often just attribute the success of something to the director or the writer. You know, like West Wing was great because it was Aaron Sorkin. And, you know, Star Wars was great because of George Lucas. But, you know, there's all these things that went into creating it. And that this episode is remembered for its powerful ending. And that powerful ending came so close to only not happening, but also being a train wreck is sort of amazing. We'll link that. I'll link that um, YouTube documentary clip in the show notes but it's worth a listen if you haven't seen it before and you're a fan of this episode just how close they came to to botching it all up but in the end they created a real powerful ending to this and the the proof is on screen not only the horror of war but also like the banality of war 
previous to the end shot. I think it's something this episode absolutely nails. If you're going for an episode of Black Adder that is an exemplar of comedy moments at the highest, I think we already have one of those in the canon, right? Did we put the Lord Flashheart episode in the canon? I think we did. Uh, if not, we definitely talked about it anyways, and that's probably one of the more famous ones. If you haven't watched that one, but as far as like being in a a powerful, important piece of television, this is just definitely fits fits the bill. Like, there's a moment where Captain Darling says, "You know, um, we've done it. We survived it. It's the Great War from 1914 to 1917." Just they start yeah. to go over there. It's like ooh, and uh, that sort of like they managed to capture and post that really bittersweet you know moment. It's a definite thumbs up for me. Uh, I'll go next. We uh, update. We do not have uh, a Black Adder episode in the canon as of this report. Um, I'm like Dave. I also had remembered this from my younger days as being kind of a, a downbeat and sort of, you know, a, a bummer way to end the season that was so full of laughs and merriment. But you've you've made such an excellent argument for why um, this is the only way that the season really reasonably could end. Um, and having also, you know, watched, uh, the Catch 22 miniseries on Hulu this year. Obviously it's about World War II, not World War I, but similarly about, um, you know, the, the effort of a person who's the only sane one around trying to pre- appear insane to be invalided out to Blighty. Uh, similar story, uh, some, some echoes there too. Um, and I will say, uh, you know, you mentioned English people take, World War One seriously, Canadians do too. This was a big deal for us as well. So, um, yeah, it was definitely a different experience watching it this time. And um, and you make some, you made a great point too about the way the show uh, structurally showed the different social casts commingling. This was something that also came up. Um, although most of the war stuff obviously happened off screen on Downton Abbey, that was something that continued to. Um, reverberate after the war seasons of that show where, you know, it just opened a lot of people's eyes to how poor people actually lived in England when they showed up and like were badly malnourished and, you know, couldn't read and so forth. And how, you know, for all its horrors, the war was also a driver of social change and, you know, in a, in a bad, and it, that was one of the good things to come out of it, I guess. Um, and I, I love the clips that you, that you picked. Uh, George is probably my favorite character of season four. Um, and you you chose some excellent exemplars of why that is. So excellent presentation. Great job. Thank you for bringing can, it. Can I hop, hop back in just before Sarah goes? Sorry. Yeah. I do want to go back to one thing that Monty was saying about how the movies and specials and stuff that happened after series four didn't actually exist. And that is like, if you're going to end your show on this note that we're talking about in the canon today... I really feel like you got to be damn sure that you're done with your project. It, it sort of lessens the the impact of this to have another one after that. But I feel like if you're going to end on this note, make sure you're ending on this note uh, for your legacy. Sarah. I have not historically been a huge Blackadder fan, and this uh, episode took a couple of minutes for me to settle into. Um, in retrospect, I think it might have just been like, everybody was just being really big on screen and it might've been a little like, this is the last, this is the finale nerves or something, but that has historically been sort of why I didn't find it as hilarious and essential as some people seem to, that it just was like, why are they yelling? Like, I don't, it 
did Margaret Thatcher not let them have Lafleur bikes? Stop yelling. But then it starts to like all of the stuff that um, all of the jokes that are set up in the first two or three or four minutes start coming back. Like all of them come back before the ending. The running gag about coffee and what they've actually been using for coffee and sugar and milk. And then um, the guy who's like, oh, cappuccino. And then there's just <laughs> a long enough pause for the audience to be like, oh, God. It's like, what's the little brown stuff that you put on the top? Do you have any of that? And Baldrick's like, sure. And like, Adder's like, oh, no, 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 D- please no. Um, Baldrick's friend, Katie the Spider. Um, the They keep going back to this battle in, I think, the Sudan and like the sharpened mangoes that um, their opponents had versus uh, the machine guns that their current opponents have. Um, and then that ending, which is sort of visually reminiscent of, it's not just effective for its own sake, but like, uh, having recently watched this miniseries, The Devil Next Door, which is about, uh, alleged, whatever, Nazi, uh, war criminal and the, uh, the frequent sort of B-roll shots of these extermination camps today and the way that they've been reimagined as memorials and they often are the you know there's this like stark beauty to them but they're also i mean it's horrible and like snow is falling on uh, basically a, a mass grave and so that was kind of in my mind and i don't think i was expecting that ending but i would also like to shout uh out rowan atkinson in the last couple of minutes um of the episode because you just get based on his body language and the way he's handling his pistol and the way he's delivering his lines like you just get a bad feeling Mm. or like a whatever happens now is not going to be funny feeling uh, that I think is quite skillful. I have a feeling, you know, American audiences who are used to seeing him flailing around a kitchen with a turkey on his head might not uh, expect work of that subtle subtlety and texture from Rowan Atkinson, but he definitely contributes to this like sort of shadow that falls across the end of the episode. And then the fact that, like Dave was saying, it was a sort of accident of bad footage that this extremely effective ending uh came out of it um it's like it's really quite something um it's unexpected it's like hilarious but then the end you're like well that took a turn um but i think it's a pretty good turn it was a quite quite a half an hour um laughed cried better than cats etc so uh yeah thank you for bringing me back to this property and uh, I'm glad I gave it a chance because this is great. Shall we vote? Let us do that. I will definitely say yay. Tara Ariana, what say you? Me too. Yay. And so everybody. Oh yeah. It's a yay for me. All right. So three for three, that means. <laughs> Black Adder Caesar, Black Adder <laughs> series four. Episode 6, Goodbye, you are hereby inducted in the Extra Hot Break In. Americans love a winner. Yup. 
and will not tolerate a loser. Nope. All right. It is time for the winner and the loser of the week. Sarah has this week's winner. I sure do. Um, are you at the center of a bring it on slash last chance you fandom then? Come sit next to me. There's lots of room. Um, there shouldn't be. Uh, bring it on, of course, the cheerleading triumph of cinema. And last chance you, the uh, documentary about Juco football on Netflix. The creator of The Ladder is making a college cheerleading docuseries for Netflix. I can't wait. Report that compliment to your ass. All right. Who is our loser? Of I will. <laughs> Uh, I also want to mention, if you are at the center of that, uh, Van, that uh, there's a show coming at the end of this month on December 29th uh, called Dare Me on USA. That's mm. also about uh, elite high school cheerleading. So check that out, too. But that is not my loser. In fact, my loser is Disney. And here's why. I've been reading a lot lately on Twitter about how calculated baby Yoda is in The Mandalorian, how it's clearly like gone through many generations of like focus testing and and discussions and like how Your do we size make this ratio thing? totally exactly <laughs> ai how, how do we make this the cutest thing that's ever been and and it, <laughs> so that we can work the audience and you know what it's true and i've been worked and i get it and i submit to being worked that said, how do you sub how do you debut your show on November twelfth and not have baby Yoda toys available in time for your winter holidays? Cause they fucking don't. You can pre-order baby Yoda toys now, but you know when you're gonna get them? Fucking Q two of twenty twenty. This is insane. Yeah, that's not the first time that I it's happened Etsy either. They were also case. caught off guard for by the popularity of Frozen a few years ago. And they were like, super short on all that merch, too, which like, why am I, you know, yelling at Disney for not being better at merchandising? <laughs> I get it. Yes, I'm well, but it's, it's true. Disney. But at that's the same baffling. time, like, I want a baby they, Yoda toy. Like, they, I'm not too good for a baby Yoda toy. Uh, Dave, your thoughts? Two different scenarios, though. Frozen, Frozen, they were caught off guard. Mandalorian Baby Yoda, they knew what they were walking into. But yeah. spoilers for like tech stuff, like iPhones and stuff, you know, like why they always know it's always the supply chain where the information comes from, right? It's not like some okay. guy deep in the bowels of Apple took a photo of the next iPhone and, and sent it to, you know, some magazine or website somewhere. It's some guy in China who's on the line for the back side of the cases where it shows. The camera hole takes a picture of it and sends it, you know, and then they can deduce from that. Or there's a guy who just looks at the orders for what materials they're ordering and stuff like that. So this is sort of the same deal. Like if they put toys in the pipeline, they would have had to done it like in the fall or late ago. summer and it would have been known. And this is like something they wanted to be a big viral moment. So that's why they didn't. That said, they're losing a really big opportunity here to create, to recreate the 1977 Christmas early bird empty box set thing they did when mm -hmm. Star Wars took everybody by surprise in 77 and they had no action figure toys ready for that Christmas. All the kids, including me, under the tree got an empty box with a mm -hmm. backdrop of uh, the figures that'll say like, in about three months time, you'll get the figures that you see on this piece of cardboard enjoy yeah. and it's like and, and those like boxes you can get like hundreds of dollars for them now and i figured like that would have 
at least been a little winky thing they could have done that you could buy the Baby Yoda early bird empty box set for somebody for Christmas this year, but they didn't. I guess. I hear what you're saying, but I feel like the... There had to be a way yeah. they could do some kind of quickie thing. Like, you know, the little soft, mushy things, those like, you know what I'm talking about, the zoom zoom things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they've got a warehouse full of chicken little toys somewhere and they just dip that little chicken <laughs> green and stick some ears on it. Problem solved. <laughs> Monty, you're a genius. Yeah, no, I, I get it. But I also feel like if we were talking the alternate universe where they actually did that, then Baby Yoda would have mm-hmm. been surprised. Like a couple of people figured it out. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. they even gave too many clues because in the various press interviews, like in one press interview, uh, John uh, Favreau. Favreau said something about, well, this show is about the Mandalorian catching a bounty. And then the other one, he said, like, the bounty is 50 years old. And, like, somebody figured it out. Well, wouldn't that be great if the 50-year-old was the Yoda species because they grow? And so it was out there before. And that was just, like, people sort of just doing Sherlock detective work, never mind actually physical evidence of it. And, like, that kind of floated out there in, like, very Star Wars-y circles. But... Like, it was still a big surprise to everybody that watched it for the most part. And I think that's why it is such a big hit right now, because nobody's not coming. Sure, they're leaving money on the table, but I get why. (sighs) Speaking about leaving money on the table. (laughs) Oh, segueing from yourself. I like it. And furthermore, giving compliments to your ass. Do you know what time it is? Time to go on Etsy and look for Baby Yoda Needlepoint? Close. It's game time. Yay! All right, everybody, we are back to game time. This is the first game time in a while. We've had a couple special episodes. We had a game time that was non-regulation, but didn't make the final edit due to uh, technical issues with the Fug Girls. So this is, in fact, still the fourth game time of the season. Season scores are Value Guest 2, Sarah D. Bunting 1, Tar Ariano 0. Today we are playing second, second most episodes, care of Andrew Rabin, the Ray Gun who earns himself an extra credit topic. This is the second half of the same format we played in episode 274, which Mo Ryan won. You may recall, this is the game where you need to figure out what TV show an actor has their second most appearances in. Last Uh, time time we played this, everybody had a little bit of trouble. I feel like everybody was performing a little bit below their average. So I've simplified the rules this time around with the second set of questions that Andrew has provided. So this is how it's going to go this time around. Oh, yeah. Dumb it down for me. I am going to give (laughs) you the name of the TV shows they were in, the most and the third most, and you have to tell me what show is in the middle of those two, what show is the second most they've been in. I'm also going to tell you the number of episodes for each of those TV shows I will give you. This is the number of episodes the actor is credited for, not the total run of the show, all right? So this does not include voiceover work, sketch shows, talk show appearances. We're just basically talking about scripted show appearances by one actor. Correct answer is worth one point, and that's all there is to it. We'll have two Grocer Equalizer Challenge Zones today, and we also have a tiebreaker if we need it. Tara Ariano, can you please give the steel meal situation? Well, for the game time that got thrown out, I mean, I obviously can't go back. I don't remember what happened in it. So we're just going to have to start from wherever we left things there. So I think that's fair. That is as follows. Sarah D. Bunting has two steel meals. 
valued guest, holy shit, has six steel meals. Yeah. <laughs> I have zero steel meals and an extravaganza gone. <laughs> Ooh. So, that's where we are. All right. Let's start with Picky to see who will be going first today. We will start with valued guest. All right. Monty's okay. going first. We'll follow Monty with Tara, then to Sarah. Are we ready to play second, second most episodes? Yes. Yes. All right, Monty, your actor is Neil Patrick Harris. We want to identify the show that is his second most appearances in. That show is not the first show, which is How I Met Your Mother with 208 episodes. But it is more than the third show, which is a series of unfortunate events with 25 episodes. Sure. Sure. First show, How I Met Your Mother. Third show, series of unfortunate events. What shows right in that sweet middle there? Neil Patrick Harris. What? No, those are movies. That's a web series. That that's Broadway. That's also Broadway. Wow. Um That's a real good question. Neil Patrick Harris. There is definitely yeah. a show that he is known for sitting on the oh, board waiting Doogie for you to Doogie Howser, MD is what the answer is. There that is right. correct. 97 episodes of Doogie Howser. I was what? on the edge of saying Dr. Horrible. That show was on for 97 fucking episodes. <laughs> He's too old at the end. There's no My show God. at that point. He's just a young doctor. It ended the same year How I Met Your Mother started. <laughs> Tara, here's your first question. Wow. Your actor is... Janine Garofalo. Okay. We want something that is in between the first show, which is the Larry Sanders show with 52 episodes, and right. her third show, which is the West Wing with 15 episodes. Something in the middle between Really? Them. Ooh. Something she did more than the West Wing, which I didn't even know she'd... Oh, I do know. Maybe I'm going to guess Criminal Minds? Cri- criminal Minds Disturbing Behavior! Shit. <laughs> uh, the answer we're looking for 24, 21 episodes of 24. Oh, Jesus. All right, Sarah D. Bunting. Yeah. Hope I'm saying this right. Harold Perino. Mm-hmm. He yes. of his first show, Lost, with 60 episodes. Oh, and he of his third show, Laws, with 30 episodes. What is his second show? He really likes that phoneme, I'm going to guess. Uh, Oz. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Thank you. All right, back to Monty. Your actor, Mr. Ted Danson. His first show, Cheers, 270 episodes. His third show, CSI Las Vegas Original Rays Edition, 84 episodes. Something's in the middle in between those. What's that show? Uh, I don't think there's been enough good place, and I don't know how many Beckers there are, but there's got to be plenty of Beckers. I'm saying Becker. Is it Becker? Biz. Hardly even know her. (laughs) Tara Ariana, your actor, Robert Patrick. Mm -hmm. The show he has been in the most, the little show called Scorpion, 93 episodes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) His third show is something called The X-Files with 40 episodes. Oh, no. Something in that sweet middle. Oh, I was really hoping that would be the second show. Oh, no. Oh, God, I have no idea. The 4,400. The 4,400 is incorrect. It is a show that sounds like it should only be one episode, but it's in fact 69 episodes. 
Nice. Nice. It is uh, nice. the unit. 69 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> All right, Sarah D. Bunting, your actor is Billy Campbell. His top show, Once and Again, 63 episodes. His hmm. third show, The Killing, 27 episodes. Sure. What's in the middle? Based on title alone, I'm going to say it's it's your bag. <laughs> well, it's not Helix. <laughs> Frozen monkey friends. Just kidding. Um, Frozen monkey friends. <laughs> of the city. Correct. The show we we're looking for. Crime story. Crime story. Oh yeah, that thing. Yep. Monty Ashley. You have Amy Acker. Amy Acker. Top show Angel with seventy episodes. Third show The Gifted twenty nine episodes. Something in the middle. What's that middle show? Was she one of the ones on Dollhouse? Steel Meal. Oh, Sarah's going to Steel Meal from Sarah D. Bunting. She says... Person of interest. You are correct. 65 uh. persons of interests to Angel 70. Nice. Tara. Yep. Jennifer Morrison. Mm-hmm. Top show, Once Upon a Time, 136 episodes. Right. Third show, How I Met Your Mother, 13 episodes. Mm-hmm. Middle show is House. what? House, 130 episodes. Correct. Sarah D. Bunting. Amy Brenneman. Judging Amy is her top show with 138 episodes. The Leftovers, her third show with 28 episodes. What's the second show? Oh, no. In between Judging Amy and The Leftovers. For good old yeah, Amy B. <laughs> Just that's combine those broad. two shows and whatever. Judging oh. Amy's leftovers. I'm going to be mad when you say it, but I can't pull it. That's it. That is incorrect. The show we were looking for, Private Practice, 111 oh, episodes. Yeah. All right. Everybody's last question uh, before our first score break coming at you, starting with Monty. Rashida Jones, biggest show, no surprise, Parks and Rec, 106 episodes. Third show, Boston Public, 36 episodes. What's that second show? That is an excellent question. (laughs) And I am saying these words to delay the time when I have to say I have no idea. (laughs) All right. Somewhere between 106 and 36. Any idea? Nope. It is Angie Tribeca with 40 oh, episodes yeah. squeaking by possible. mad. Tara Ariano. Yeah. <laughs> Drea DiMatteo. Mm-hmm. Biggest show, The Sopranos, 61 episodes. Sure. IP. Mm-hmm. Yep. Third show, Shades of Blue, 36 episodes. Right. Ah. Uh, Joey. Joey loves sandwiches. Correct. Choosing, guess how many episodes of Joey? Um, 44. 46. Holy cow. Nicely done. Damn. Yeah. All right. All right, Sarah, this is our last question for our first score break. Alfrey Woodard, biggest show, Desperate Housewives with 26. Third show, Memphis Beat with 20. What's the second show in between those two? So I'm threading the needle between 36 and 20. 26 and 20. 
if it's what I'm thinking of, it's a show that you did watch. What? Brit Scandal? No. Anybody want to use their steel meals there? Nope. All right. The answer we're looking for with 23 episodes, Luke Cage. Luke Cage. Oh. All right. It is time for our <laughs> score break. Well, Tara Ariano scores, please. <laughs> well, you said there was going to be two equalizer challenges, but I think there's not because guess what? We're all tied up. Two points each. <laughs> I right. say we all take the equalizer challenge together. Improve our scores. <laughs> Here we go. We're doing it. All right, you work together. You collectively <laughs> get over half. I'll give you a special prize. Classics. <gasps> what 50s hero waged a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way? Superman, right? Superman, yeah. Superman. Sitcoms. What sitcom characters' pet names for his pistol include Old Roscoe, Old Persuader, excellent name, and Blue Steel Baby? Sitcom? I feel like it's probably Barney Fife on the. Sure. I think it show. is too. You are correct, Damn. Barney Fife. Drama. Who always said just the facts, ma'am? The character from Dragnet, right? Yeah. Joe Friday. Joe Friday. Jack Webb. Correct. All right, you got your three. If you get all six, I'm going to give you an extra special prize. <laughs> Kids and games. What game show had to bleep parts of Anita Gillette's clues for things that are stiff? Um, pyramid? Yeah, pyramid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Whatever I'm going to give you pyramid. It's the $20,000 pyramid, but okay. I feel okay. like that. Yeah. Stars. What relation are Felicia Rashad and Debbie Allen? They're sisters, right? I believe they are sisters. Correct. Get this last one. You're all going to get a very special prize. Better be a pizza. Oh Christmas came early this year. This is the most exciting thing that's happened to you. Two weeks. Wild card. What 1967 comedy variety show caused censorship issues at CBS? Uh, Smothers Brothers. Smothers Brothers, is that your collective answer? It's either that or laugh-in, so yeah, I, d- I would have said laugh-in, but I don't remember the network, so right. I will defer to Monte. All right. Smothered Brothers, that's your answer, correct? Sure. You are correct. You hey! just ran it. Yeah, Monte! Now it's time for your prize. Uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey. it's time to go back to the game. Enjoy that, everybody. Monty's back. Your actor, Craig T. Nelson. Oh. Top uh. show, Coach. Third show, The District. What's in between those two? Um. Oh, I'm sorry. The coach with 199, The District with 89. Oh. Something in between. Oh, oh, thank you. Well, now I know the answer. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say men of a certain age because he seems like he could have been on that. Incorrect. I'll steel mill this too. Yeah. 30 bunting steel mill. Parenthood. Parenthood, 103 episodes. Correct. Stolen. Tara Ariano. Jeremy mm-hmm. Sisto. Sure. Top show, Law and Order, Original uh-huh. Raised Pizza, 64 yep. episodes. Mm-hmm. Third show, Six Feet Under, 31 episodes. Suburgatory. Suburgatory, correct, 57 episodes. Back to Sarah D. Bunting, Jenna Elfman. Top show, Dharma and Greg, 119. 
third show with only 18 accidentally on purpose. I don't know. All right, this comes up every once in a while and we immediately forget about it. But with 31 episodes, Fear the Walking Dead. Oh, right. It's on there right now, I think. Yeah. All right, back to Mr. Ashley, Josh Molina. Top show scandal, 124 episodes. Oh, buddy. Third slot, sports night, 45 episodes. Hmm. Hmm. That second show with 80 episodes. I'll throw that out there. 80 episodes. Really? How many how many sports night episodes oh, were we got there? 124 scandals, 45 sports nights. Okay. He might have been on the West Wing more than 45. I'm going to say the West Wing. You are correct. 80 episodes. There you go. Tar Ariano, this is question 17. Fred Eagle. Fred Eagle. Uh, recent Mandalorian guest Ming-Na Wen. Mm-hmm. Top show, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., 123 episodes. Oh, boy. Third show, Maybe. The Single Guy, 43 episodes, saved by numbers there, I think. Tara, what's that second show? ER. ER, 118 episodes. Correct. Sarah D. Bunting, your actor is Sarah Lancaster. Chuck, her number one show, 91 episodes. Everwood, the third show, 20 episodes. What's that second show in between those two? <sighs> Barney Miller? Miller. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Incorrect? Anybody know it? Nope. Take a no, guess I've never heard of her. I'll give you a hint. The uh, title has a colon in it. A... 24 Legacy? No, it is a... CSI sorta, Cyber. Nope, it is a sort of Next Generation-esque... Oh, reboot no i'm further away from it now saved huh? by the bell the new class saved by the bell the new oh, class oh I forgot sure came out of there. 79 episodes <laughs> She's in it. wow this is question for monty your actor Alyssa milano top show who's the boss 196 Third show, Melrose Place, 40 episodes. Oh, wow. There's something to look forward to, listeners of Again With This. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alyssa Milano, huh? Alyssa Milano, who was in Who's the Boss for almost 200 episodes and in Melrose yeah. Place for 40, had something in between those. What's that show? Yeah, she sure did. She's, she's super famous. Super um, famous. Unfortunately, I can only think of my umbiolic at this point, which is something I need to talk to a doctor about. <laughs> yeah, there's a cream for that. <laughs> oh, Ask <no>. your doctor <laughs> about blossom metrics. Um, I don't know. Home improvement. <laughs> she was Wilson the whole time. All right. Uh, I got to believe somebody on the panel knows the answer to this one. It's charmed, is it- but I don't have steel meals left, so... Oh. Charmed at 178 episodes. Yeah, I've got a million steel mills. I can't. I think. All right. Totally forgot that one. I was like, Mistresses? The (laughs) show no one watched. Totally forgot about Charmed. Probably her most famous one. Tara Ariano, your actor, Wayne Knight. Mm -hmm. Top show, Third Rock from the Sun, 101 episodes. Okay. That is a surprise. 
third with 45 episodes, Seinfeld. What's the second show? Good luck (laughs) is what I'm going to say to you. Okay, great. (laughs) Um, Hmm. So we're looking for a show that was somewhere in between 101 appearances and 45 appearances. Sisters. (laughs) Incorrect. It is really the X's. Oh yeah, the right. X E S the X's. Yep. Severity Bunting, your actor, Seal Award. Her top show, guess what? Sisters. Wow, <laughs> that's spooky. CSI, New York, fifty-seven. In between those two. Seal Award. If it's what I'm thinking, it's already been mentioned in this game. Once and again. Once and again is correct. Sixty-three. Nice. Lee done. Back to Monty. Big Mouse Nathan Fillion <laughs> was in Castle 173 times, was mm-hmm. in The Rookie 22 times. Something right in the middle. What's that show? Mm. Well, Firefly famously went for like five seasons. Yes. <laughs> until everyone got sick of it. People often call it Firefly for just that reason. <laughs> Yeah. Sure do. I'll give you a hint. Oh, thanks. It's a long title. Okay. All right. Uh, Eight simple rules for dating my teenage daughter. I like the way you think. (laughs) Incorrect. With 60 episodes, we're talking about two guys, a girl, and a pizza place. Huh. All right. Uh, Atari Ariano. We and we alone are talking about that. (laughs) (laughs) Father of two, Rob Moreau, is -hmm. your actor. Mm -hmm. First show, Numb Three Years, 118 Mm -hmm. episodes. Mm -hmm. Third show, Street Time, 33 episodes. Oh, well, then Northern Exposure probably is in the middle. Correct, 102 episodes. Sarity Bunting. This is our last question for our second score break. Your actor, Melissa McCarthy. Top show, Gilmore Girls, 153 episodes. Third show, Samantha Who, 35 episodes. Big gap. Something in the middle in between those two. Mike and Molly? Correct. 127 episodes. All right. Nice. Time for scores, Tara. Okay. Well, they have changed. Now, Sarah and I are tied with five points each. Monty has three. All right, Monty. Luck, Monty. That means you oh, are in the Grossworth Equalizer Challenge Zone. No special prizes, just points. Two <laughs> points if you can answer three, four points if you can answer all six. Here we go. Classics. Whose only TV credit was the syndicated series Boots and Saddles when he got the lead on Adventures in Paradise? <laughs> Oh, uh, <laughs> all right. If you get this, you just win the game. That's that's all I'm saying. Fine with it. Isn't it Hulk Hogan? You are so close. We're talking no. Gardner McKay. Gardner McKay. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized Hulk Hogan had a certain number of television credits for those WWF shows he was on. <laughs> Sitcoms. Who occupied the White House while Richie Cunningham went to high school? Ooh, this is a trick history question. Okay, so it's the late 50s. And it is probably either a Monday 
Tuesday. Yeah. Sure. Go on. <laughs> happy. They weren't all happy days, no, Mark. <laughs> it's got to be Eisenhower. He really feels like a happy days president. You are there correct. You all right. Next category is drama. What appeared above Simon Templar's head at the start of every episode of The Saint? A halo. Correct. Kids and games only need one more for your delicious two points. What <laughs> decade saw cartoon lovers tuning into Baggy Pants and the Nitwits? Um. Well, luckily, te- television started at a certain point and this game came out at a certain point. So I've only got like four options. I'm going to mm. say the 60s. Oh. <laughs> 70s. So close. The only word I understood was decade. You're like 10 10 years (laughs) off by my count. All right. You got two more categories in order to get one of these right. Next category is stars. There's going to be a celebrity. What ex-American cup skipper dreamed up the cable news network? Dennis Connor. Pardon? Dennis Connor? Ted Turner. Okay. I got all hung up on the America's Cup skipper. Yeah. He was the guy that... <laughs> you answered it with such conviction and confidence that I had to turn the back of the card, even though I just read Ted Turner two seconds before that. I want everyone to know that I know an America's Cup skipper who is not a star. You answered it navally, so we're going to give you a day point. <laughs> Last category is wild card. You need this to get your two points. What lead show's characters were assigned LAPD badge numbers 2430 and 744? Uh, well, I was torn between Dragnet and Chips, but Chips, they would actually would have been assigned California Highway Patrol numbers as seen in the name of the show. So I'm saying Dragnet. That is a great guess, but not oh, the correct no. show. You're definitely on the right track. Adam 12. Was the no, show. Oh. I considered that, but the car number is, well, okay, fine. <laughs> Go back in time and have them fix it, please. I also would have guessed chips. Now you have a normal question, Monty. Ugh, fine. <laughs> Seems so common. <laughs> Callista Flockhart is your actor. Biggest show, no surprise, Alan McBeal. Third show, Supergirl. Alan McBeal, 112, Supergirl, to date 26. Hmm in the middle and I'm going to say yeah. not far from the top oh not I'm... Alan McBeal it's not Supergirl no that would it's probably not Dragnet <laughs> what if it was <laughs> um I don't know but I feel like she might have been on Boston Public mm. incorrect so we were looking for anybody brothers, brothers and, sisters? and sisters oh a lot of siblings in this game. Uh, Picky knows Tara is playing your actor, Betty White. <laughs> Top show, Golden Girls, 177 episodes. Yep. Third show, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, five episodes. Something in the middle. Okay. Hot in Cleveland. Hot in Cleveland, 124 episodes? What the fuck? God. What? Oh, wow. Get your shit together, America. I swear to God. <laughs> yeah. Especially you, Cleveland. Sarah D. Bunting, Donald Logie. Top show, Gotham, with a crisp, clean 100. Third show, Life, with 21. Something in the middle, at the high end of that. Middle. Well, it's not, uh... 
Knights of Prosperity, alas. And it's not SVU. And it's not Terriers. So I'm going to say it's those little interstitials on MTV where he played a cab driver. <laughs> oh, I, I love those. Know. Incorrect. It was, in fact, a real series sharing one word with his third place title. Grounded for life. Oh, yeah. Grounded for life. All right. Everybody's got two questions left. Here's Monty's. Marley Matlin. Swished at birth. Top show. 46 episodes. Third show. The L Word. 29 episodes. Prequel to V-Wars. <laughs> uh, here's a show I know she was on, but I don't think she was on that many times. The West Wing? That's what I would have had to guess, too. Yeah. Uh, second show, 44 episodes. Reasonable Doubt. Oh, right. Oh, sure. Whoops. Tara Ariano. Julie Gonzalo. Oh, Pumpkin Pie Wars, Julie Gonzalo? continuity Dallas top show 40 episodes third show Veronica Mars 21 episodes oh fuck it's gonna be some shit on the CW that I've never heard the clue it's not Mm, okay Seal Team. <laughs> Incorrect. It is with 25 episodes, Eli Stone. Oh, okay. That thing? That thing. Sarah D. Bunting. Constance yeah. Zimmer. Top show, Good Morning Miami. 40 episodes. <laughs> wow. It's no one's top show. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. Show, Boston Legal, 23 episodes. Uh, it's got to be Unreal. The Unreal, 38 episodes, squeaking under nice. at number two. Yeah, Episodes less than Miami. All right, Monty, last question of the game coming at you. Quickly, Tara, scorers, please. Okay. Monty has three points. Sarah and I are once again tied with six points each. Dun, right. dun, dun. Let's see how so this plays out. This one, if I get this one right and steal both of your answers, it's a tie. <laughs> oh, it works. Kyle Chandler. Big show, early edition, 90 episodes. Always forget that. What? Third show, Homefront, 42 episodes. Can you guess this little known second show? (laughs) I feel like it's Friday Night Lights, and that's going to be my answer. You are correct. 76 episodes of that show, to his credit. Tara, your actor, Ted McGinley. Mm -hmm. The show killer. The show killer, (laughs) top show though not killed married with children 167 episodes oh my I mean, he god he did kill it eventually but yes <laughs> was that his fault that's a long yeah. fucking con that's just just like the heat death of the universe <laughs> third show happy days 61 episodes uh-huh it's that middle show oh wouldn't it be great if i knew um hmm Hmm. It's probably something like uh, Saint Elsewhere. It's not correct. Is it the know. Love Boat? Oh, I'm gonna give Monty a chance to steal. I was considering that he played Ace the photographer on Love Boat, but I think that was only one season, and there's no way the season was that long. 
And okay. I am generous to later uh, valued guests, so I will not burn a steel. What a water. gentleman. <laughs> All right. The show okay. we were looking for, Hope and Faith. Been Faith, oh. 73 oh. episodes. Oh, right, wow. right. All right. That means get this and you win. Okay. Marsha Cross is your actor. Uh-huh. Top show, Desperate Housewives. Yeah. 180 episodes. Third show, and I'll preface this to say, if you don't get the answer right, you're going to have to end certain things in your life. Third show, okay. Everwood, 18 episodes. There's a show in the middle. <laughs> Thank God for you, Everwood. Um, it's a little thing they call Auf Deutsch Melrosplatz. That is correct. 114 <laughs> episodes of that show. Listen to them all on Again With This. Yeah. Nice right. synergy, Dave. <laughs> That's regulation. Let's hear the final scores, please, Tara. Okay. Monty finished strong with four points. I had six. Sarah is our victor with seven. Nicely done. All right. We got this tiebreaker. We'll repurpose uh, for shits and giggles. And steel meals. And steel meals, perhaps. Maybe another special prize. Who's to say? We'll find out after Ooh. the answer. <laughs> um, correct me if I get this name wrong. Tina Majorno. Majorino. Majorino. Oh, it is Majorino. See, in my mind, I thought there's no way it's called Majorino. That sounds like a bubblegum. Tina Majorino. (laughs) Ding. Top show, Veronica Mars, 33. Third show, Grey's Anatomy, 22. What's that middle? I don't know who that is. 26 episodes. Really? I have no idea at all. All right. I'll start providing more clues. Okay. HBO. True Blood? Correct. Big Love. Is correct. Big oh, Love is there you answer. go. All right, Tara, we're going to give you one steel mill and four year troubles, but hey, guess who won today? It's Serity Bunting. Sarah. 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 Congratulations, Sarah. Down to the wire, but you got it. Thank you. That is it for another episode of Extra Hot Great. We stuck our mouthful of teeth in the vampire virus series V-War <laughs> before going around the dial with stops at Servant, Mad About You, Making It, X on the Beach, and Toast of London. Kit Keller asked us to ungritify television one character at a time, while Monty made the successful case for the original Blackadder finale goodbye for the canon. We crowned winners and losers of the week, and Sarah was the winner of this week's Game Time. Remember... We're listening. I am David T. Cole, and on behalf of Tara Ariano... What? Sarah D. Bunting. Keep hacking. And Monty Ashley. It just needs more vampires. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next time right here on Extra Hot Great. Oh, shall I do another one then, sir? No, we wouldn't want to exhaust you. No, don't worry. I could go on all night. Not with a bayonet through your neck, you couldn't. I need to take a quick. Calibration break here for a second. How fast can someone learn about Hanukkah? Oh, nine days. (laughs) (laughs) All right, fair enough. I think we can get it down to eight. No further questions. (laughs) You need one day to process.